few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Natalie and I took our almost three-year-old son, Ezra, to the dentist. And if you've ever had an almost three-year-old, you can probably imagine where this story's going. Uh, so Ezra cautiously, while observing his surroundings, walked with us over to the big chair. And then the dentist came in wearing a gown and a mask and these little binocular things at the ends of his glasses. And I'm sure to Ezra, he probably looked a little scary, right? And then he opened up this bag of little hooks and pokers and scrapers, you know, all these things that I'm sure probably look to Ezra like a little collection of torture weapons. And then holding a couple of those torture weapons in his hands, he uh, asked Ezra to open his mouth and say, ah. And uh, what do you think happened in that moment? <laughs> do you think Ezra, you know, cheerfully, excitedly said, ah? No. No. No, in that moment, his little bottom lip started quivering. He was on the verge of tears because he was afraid and he didn't really know what was going on. And then I started to feel a little emotional and my eyes started to get a little watery because I hate seeing my son so afraid like that. It's the worst. And Natalie and I tried our best to comfort him. And he really did such a great job. And we were so proud of him. But he was clearly in distress the entire time. And it's because there is only so much that his little, almost three-year-old mind can comprehend and understand in these kinds of situations, right? He can't necessarily see the dentist as anything but scary. And he can't necessarily see those little pokers and scrapers as anything other than weapons. And he can't necessarily see that his mama and dada have not betrayed him, but that we've taken him to the dentist because we love him more than he knows. There are things that our minds understand and our eyes can see that his little mind and his little eyes cannot yet understand or see. And think about this. If you and I are in Christ and God is our heavenly father and we are his children and the intellectual and uh, perceptive distance between us and him is infinitely greater than the intellectual and perceptive distance between us and our own kids? Is it fair to say that there are probably many, many uh, things in life that our little minds cannot understand and our little eyes cannot see, though he understands them and sees them perfectly. And is it fair to say that there are probably many, many times in life when we fear, when we really have no reason to fear at all? And is it fair to say that there are probably many, many situations in life where we might be tempted to doubt that, that God's treatment of us is always motivated by his love for us, though his pure and perfect heart is 
constantly beating with a love for us that is greater than we could even imagine. These are the kinds of things that our passage this morning is all about. It's all about how God uh, understands and sees and feels and thinks and acts in ways that are so different than us because he is so different than us. He is God. And in so many words, this passage will tell us that we can't really comprehend him fully. We can't really comprehend him fully. And, and while that might uh, immediately strike us as kind of a, dis a discouraging thing, I want to assure you right up front, trust me, it will, without a doubt, be the most encouraging and hope-filling thing that you will hear today. And maybe for the rest of this week. Trust me. Trust me when I say that. And I'm just going to restrain myself from saying anything more about it right now. Let me just pray for us, and then we will open up the word and take a look for ourselves, okay? Lord God, may we behold wondrous things from your holy, inspired, inerrant word this morning. Lord, we ask that you might be pleased by your spirit to open our minds to uh, things that we wouldn't otherwise understand this morning and our eyes to things that we wouldn't otherwise see this morning and uh, our hearts to things that we wouldn't otherwise find to be so beautiful this morning, Lord. Lord, may we all uh, come away from our time in the Word this morning worshiping you as we see you just a little bit better for who you really are, we pray. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in it to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, for me, it's a little bit past the halfway point in my Bible in the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, great chapter. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 6 through 9. Okay? Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 9. Let me read it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. So I think we see three things here from the prophet Isaiah. We see a call to come, verses 6 through 7a. This is the outline, babe. Natalie's back there running slides this morning. A call to come, verses 6 through 7a. And we see a promise of pardon, verse 7b. And lastly, we see an extraordinary explanation, verses 8 through 9. 
So again, that's a call to come, a promise of pardon, and an extraordinary explanation. So let's first look at this call to come, verses 6 through 7a. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. So here God is speaking to, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, to the people of Judah, the Judeans. Okay, so God is speaking to his own people. He's speaking to professing believers. He's speaking to people a lot like us. You know, church-going, Bible-believing, self-professing followers of the one true God. And God has just one thing he's asking them to do. Just one thing. But he says it in four different ways. He says, seek me, call upon me, forsake your wicked ways and thoughts, and return to me. Seek, call, forsake, return. Essentially, essentially he's saying, come back to me. And that is our application this morning, right at the beginning of the passage. Come back to me. Come back to me. Essentially, that's what God is saying. So if we've gotten into the routine of not seeking God each and every day, he wants us to start seeking him again, looking to him again, living out those words we sing together in worship. Be thou my vision. O Lord of my heart. And if we can't even remember the last time we found ourselves calling upon his name, he wants us to start calling upon him again, crying out to him again, asking him to come and to be present in our, in our lives. And if we've been walking in wicked ways or have been entertaining wicked thoughts, he wants us to forsake them, forget them, Renounce them, reject them, abandon those sinking ships of sin for higher ground, for solid ground. And if we've been far from home, like the prodigal son, wandering, drifting, or simply stuck in neutral, just idling, he wants us to return to him. So in so many words, God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Now, we need to be careful to not miss these two super important details we see in verse 6. So let's look at that again. Verse 6. Seek the Lord when? While he may be found. Call upon him when? While he is near. So do you see these commands are uh, time-sensitive, meaning there may only be a, a season in our lives or a short window of time when we are even able to seek the Lord and call upon him and forsake our wicked ways and thoughts and return to him. And let me tell you what I think this means and, and what, I, what I think God is getting at here. And I think there are uh, at least a couple possibilities. The first is... Well, there's, there's just the reality that the longer we live in unrepentant sin, the harder it is to get out of it, right? 
like as we dig ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into darker and darker pits of sin, uh, the less we are able to feel the light and the less we are able to hear what's going on up there and, and the less we even desire to leave because we've abandoned the world above and we've, we've become so accustomed to the world below. I think that's one possibility. We just close our eyes to God's light and we just plug our ears to God's voice. I don't want to see you, Lord. I don't want to hear you, Lord. And we run away. And then after some time, we open our eyes and unplug our ears and we look around and we discover that we are light years away from home in a world that is very dark and very quiet. And in that place, and here's the scariest part, in that place, the thought of turning back never even crosses our minds anymore. I think that's one possibility. Another possibility is uh, what I'm calling the Romans chapter 1 possibility. And that might sound like the better of the two possibilities, but, uh, well, to be frank, it's actually probably the worst thing that could ever happen to us in this life. Look at Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Other translations say that God gave them over or handed them over. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So in the instance of a Romans chapter one situation, God, like a uh, dam in a river, that's been holding us back and has been restraining the wickedness in our hearts from being unleashed all at once, he finally just lets go and just gives us over to ourselves and says, fine, have at it. Do what you want to do. My hands are off. And we might think that that would be the most liberating thing in the whole world. Finally being able to do what we want, when we want, how we want, without the Holy Spirit being like a little pesky Jiminy Cricket on our shoulder, convicting us over what we're trying to do. But think about this. Um, Natalie and I sometimes ask each other, when, when Ezra is acting wild and crazy and out of control, which is about 85% of the time. <laughs> but we'll, uh, we'll look at each other, and one of us will ask, how long do you think Ezra would survive without us? <laughs> right? Like, dishes are falling off the table, everything's, tornadoes going through the house. How long do you think he'd survive without us? And we already know the answer to that question. It's not long, not long, right? 
because were it up to him, he would never take a nap. He would never take a bath. He would never change his diaper. He would eat popsicles all day until he was sick. He would run out into the street without stopping and looking both ways. He'd be climbing up all the things he shouldn't be climbing up. He'd be jumping off all the things he shouldn't be jumping off. He's almost three, but I don't think he would make it to his third birthday without us. That's the truth. But for him, you know, it might feel liberating to him for us as parents to just let go and say, fine, Ezra, you just do what you want to do. But that would be a death sentence for him, wouldn't it? And really, I don't think a Romans chapter 1 situation would be uh, much different for us. Not too much different for us. So God is saying here in our passage, come back to me now while you can still see me and while you can still hear me and while I know you still have some softness of heart left and while I am still holding you back and have not given you over to your own sin completely. That is God's call to come, and it goes out to all of us, okay? And then we see God's promise of pardon, his promise of pardon, verse 7b. So seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Pardon, meaning total forgiveness, complete uh, acquittal, exoneration, sins remembered no more. He will abundantly pardon. Now, let, let's just step back for a second. And I want us to think about all the kinds of excuses we make for not coming back to God in our sin. There's the classic, I'm in too deep excuse. Heard it? Used it? I'm in too deep. I've gone too far. I've seen too much. I can't turn back now. I wouldn't even know where to start. Or there's the, I'm too broken to fix excuse. I'm too broken to fix. I am just so messed up. I've done just awful things. I can't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. Or there's the, I'm just a bad Christian excuse. I'm just a bad Christian. I can't ever be as Christian as all the other Christians. <laughs> I feel like a fake. I feel like a fraud. I feel like an imposter. I don't know if I really belong. Or there's the I have a plan excuse. I have a plan. 
when these specific issues get resolved in my life, then I'll start thinking about my relationship with God. Or I'm just going to sin a little bit longer, but then, then I'll repent. Or I just need to find the right church or the right pastor or the right friend group or the right girlfriend or the right boyfriend, whatever, and then I'll start taking my faith seriously. Or there's the, well, I really don't want to bother him too much excuse. Well, I, I really don't want to bother him too much. You see, uh, I've gone through this whole sin, repentance, forgiveness cycle so many times now that I, I must be just a nuisance to God at this point. If I come back to God now, I feel like he's just going to be annoyed by me. I know that God loves me, but I'm not sure he really likes me very much right now. I'm in too deep. I'm too broken to fix. I'm just a bad Christian. I have a plan. Well, I really don't want to bother him too much. And the list of excuses just goes on and on and on and on. And he's heard them all. And to all of them, his compassionate response is, I will abundantly pardon. I will abundantly pardon. It's as if he's saying, you think you're in too deep? Oh, you haven't even scratched the surface of how deep my love and my forgiveness go. Come experience my abundant pardon. You think you're too broken to fix? Let's see what I can put back together when I get a hold of your heart and, and start reversing the curse within you when you experience my abundant pardon. You think you're a bad Christian? Well, the truth is you all are. You all are. You all fall so, so short of my glory each and every day, which is why I sent you all a good Savior. And oh, you need him. You need my abundant pardon through him. And in him, you belong. In him, you fit in. That's the power of my abundant pardon. You say you have a plan. You don't need a plan. You need a pardon. <laughs> Watch and see what will happen in your life and all the things that will begin to change when you receive my abundant pardon. You fear you might be a bother to me? Oh, my darling child, no, no. I am your father, and I love you infinitely and eternally, and I am happy 
to lavish upon you grace upon grace, pardon upon pardon forever and ever till sin is no more. I will abundantly pardon. I will abundantly pardon. I will abundantly pardon. Wow. Wow. This is not the way we typically operate in our human-to-human -human relationships, is it? No way. No way. When people sin against us, we get angry and yell at them, or we get annoyed and ignore them, or we get depressed and avoid them, or we try to make them feel as bad as we do, or we try to get revenge, or we say things to them like, you always do this or you'll never change. But God, God, the most holy and blameless and perfect and righteous and glorious and wonderful person in the whole universe, the person who is most offended by our sin, he lovingly, graciously says to us, even at our worst, even for the 10,000th time, I will abundantly pardon. And if you hear that, and you are just struck with utter astonishment and <laughs> mind-boggling bewilderment and your little brain is trying to do all the calculus to try to figure out how in the world this is even possible, then God has you right where he wants you. And here's what he has to say to you next. Verses 8 and 9. This is God's extraordinary explanation. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, so here's what God is saying here specifically, because these two verses are almost always taken out of context. So God begins his explanation with this word for, F-O-R. And grammatically, when the word for is put at the beginning of a sentence, or is uh, joining two clauses together. It's called a coordinating conjunction, right? Remember Schoolhouse Rock? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? It's called a coordinating conjunction, okay? And it's signaling that whatever is about to be said is going to ground or give an explanation for whatever has just been said. So if I say... I'm about to order six McChickens and a 10-piece Chicken McNuggets from McDonald's, period, for I love chicken and I haven't eaten since Friday, okay? That word, that word for, that's not true, but I do love chicken. I have eaten. But that word for at the beginning of the second sentence is signaling that an explanation is about to be given for why I am going to order an ungodly amount of chicken, and that's because I love chicken and I'm starving, okay? Got it? So, here in our passage, 
God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. And no matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, I will abundantly pardon again and again and again. And here's why. Here's why this doesn't quite make perfect sense to you. Because I am not like you. I am God. Look up at the heavens. The stars in the night sky, so vast and measureless and brilliant, stretching billions upon billions of light years through innumerable, endless galaxies. My loving thoughts of you and my gracious ways toward you are as incomprehensibly vast and great as the distance between you below and the farthest galaxy above. That's what he's saying. In other words, God loves his people so much and is so happy to show grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to them, we can't even begin to understand it. We have a better chance of understanding the universe in all of its complexity than we have of understanding him and the depths of his love. You know, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, I remember when Ezra was finally delivered after 20 hours of labor. I know I say that as if I was the one doing the work. I wasn't. But after 20 hours of labor, he finally came out and I just burst into tears. And I did not see that coming. And I could not restrain the waterfalls that were just pouring out of my eyes. And when I finally got to hold him, my son, I just loved him so much. And I was just amazed that Natalie and I had created him. And I was so thankful to God for allowing me, me, for allowing me to become a dad to this beautiful boy. And throughout the last almost three years, I have told Ezra that I love him probably a million times. I tell him every day. But you know what? I don't think Ezra understands even a sliver of how much I really love him. And I don't think he ever will until he becomes a father himself one day, if God allows him to do that. And, you know, through the, through the process of being a father, I feel like God has shown me just a little teeny tiny glimpse and has given me just a little bit better understanding of his love for me. But... Um, I'm pretty sure that if we compared slivers of understanding, mine and Ezra's, uh, I'm pretty sure that mine would be like the size of a fingernail and his would probably be the size of a, of a mountain, comparatively speaking, because God's thoughts are not my thoughts. 
And God's ways are not my ways. And if I ever begin to doubt it, I need only to look up to the heavens to remind myself that I am still just a lowly little earthling. A beloved earthling, but a little, little earthling. And so what's the point of all this? Well, think about this with me. So God, God has just one thing he wants us to do. Just one thing. He wants us, when we're in sin, to turn around and come back to him. That's all he wants us to do. And hypothetically, the passage could have ended right there, right? Because that's really all we should need to know. God has commanded us to come back, and so we must come back, right? Like, when you were a kid and your mom yelled out to you through the window, come inside. Uh, was she then expected to provide you with a full, detailed explanation? Or were you expected to simply obey? In the same way, God did not have to give us this promise of pardon or this extraordinary explanation. The call to come should be enough, right? And so, do you see how gently and graciously and patiently God chooses to deal with us? He doesn't just yell out the window, though he has every right to do so. He wants us to want to come. He wants to win us over. He wants to melt our hearts. And so he gives us this offer we would be fools to refuse, abundant pardon. And he says, you have no idea how much I love you and how happy I am to pardon you over and over and over. And how great the rejoicing in heaven is over one sinner who repents. Wow. You know, something else that happened to me after we brought Ezra home from the women's pavilion in Everett, was uh, I thought about how unbelievably painful it must have been for God the Father to give up his only son unto death for me. Dying in my place, carrying out my death sentence, being given over like in Romans chapter one, but to the consequences of my sin. A dear, dear son who is totally innocent and perfect and beautiful in every way, given over so that this wretched sinner could be forgiven and be adopted into the family of God as a son. And I remember holding Ezra in my hands, and I remember the very chair I was sitting in when this thought occurred to me. And I thought, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I just understood it in a deeper way than I had ever understood it before. And it brought me to tears. And it moved me to worship. And I even wrote a poem about it because I was just so overcome with emotion. <laughs> wow, he did that for me. He loves me that much unto death. So here's the point I want to make through all this. Praise God that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. Otherwise, he would have done with me what I would do with someone else in my situation. I would give them what they deserve, and I would spare my innocent son. Praise God he didn't do that with us. Praise God for his love and grace that he has for us that is just infinitely incomprehensible. We can't even begin to understand it. Praise God, Cedar Home Baptist Church. And in response, let's, let's do what he has called us to do. Let's, as Mitch preached on a few weeks ago, let's lay aside every weight and every burden, every sin that clings so close, and let's run after him and come back to him if we've strayed. And I'll just close with this. To the I'm in too deep person, I want to remind you this morning that the same King of Kings who stepped off his heavenly throne and came all the way down to earth into this mess of filth and fallenness, he is more willing than you know to plunge headlong, straight into your mess of sin, no matter how deep or how dark it is, because he loves you more than you know. And to the I'm too broken to fix person, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus bore your sins in his body on the tree and his body was broken for you so that you could be fixed. So that you could be healed. And there is no ill or injury that he is unwilling to mend because he loves you more than you know. And to the, I'm just a bad Christian person. I want to remind you this morning of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for bad people. He came for sinners in need of saving, and so he's come for you and will continue to come for you.
because he loves you more than you know. And to the I have a plan person, I want to remind you this morning that when you were on a path toward damnation and destruction, God, through Christ, changed your course for eternal life and blessedness. But he doesn't just have a new plan for where you're headed. He has a new plan for all of life and even for where you're at right now. And it's a good plan. And it's a better plan, much, much better than any plan you could ever conceive of for yourself. Because he loves you more than you know. And to the, well, I really don't want to bother him too much person, I want to remind you this morning that if Jesus wasn't bothered too much to sweat blood for you, and to endure beatings and betrayal and crucifixion for you, you better believe that right now, as he is risen from the dead and ascended into glory, seated at the right hand of God, reigning over all creation as King of kings and Lord of lords, making intercession for you at this very moment, causing all things to work together for your good, you can't bother him now. And you will never bother him because he loves you more than you know. He loves you, Christian, with a love beyond comprehension. And he wants nothing more than for you to just come to him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, the words of that old hymn, the love of God, are so, so true, Lord. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. And could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Lord, I am certain that even with the deepest of our thoughts and the most lovely and poetic of our words, um, our understanding of the depths of your love is just a drop in the bucket or rather a drop in the ocean Lord but Lord I am so so thankful for that precious drop it is more than enough for my little heart and it moves me to worship so Lord I pray that as we go from this place that we will leave with our hearts full and with our minds enlightened and that we will come back next week so excited to hear from you from your word again together for your glory alone we pray amen amen
Let's all go in the love and in the grace of God.